Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Good morning and God's morning to you. I'm Apostle Ashley kicking off today's episode of the Jesus and Paula show. If you are new to the Paula Price world, welcome. You have no idea what's about to happen to your life. If you are a veteran, share, share, share today's broadcast because the word of the Lord will come forth. It will be unrestrained. It will be unfiltered. It will be uncensored. In an era of censorship, I think it's interesting that we have flipped paradigms when it comes to censorship. Before we censored evil, crass, crude, rude, nude, profane, and the church was free to speak. And now we have flipped that coin, and anything vulgar goes, and anything restrained or holy is now gagged. We never thought we would see the day in the United States of America, bless God, where the church was censored and the world was free, free to say and do whatever they felt was what they wanted to do. Uh, You know, uh, there was a time when now preachers didn't do it, but they were free to say pretty much whatever they wanted from their pulpit without fear of the government stalking and hunting and, and all those things. And now we're at a different place. We're at a place where you have governors and mayors and local officials who are imposing regulations and stipulations on the body of Christ, the churches in their communities, arresting people um, for preaching the gospel and doing what they've been doing. You know, there must be something interesting going on because everybody in the studio is in their phone. Is there something interesting going on? Okay. It's like everybody's in the phone, and we're here. We're live. We're actually up here. (laughs) Take your notes. Take out your notebooks to take notes, but let's pay attention. All right. Moving right along, and things have shifted. Paradigms have changed. The church has been asleep. And like Dr. Price said, we've been cocky. We've been lazy. We've been uh, full of pride and arrogant that, no, there's no way this would ever happen to the church. There's no way that this, and now we see uh, with between, uh, just even talking to Rachel because her son is young, he's in school, between the push for vaccinating your children, uh, the books that they're trying to force them to read, critical race theory curriculum, veiled and obvious. Um, now, no, where's, no, put your Bible away, but if you're Christian, you can't pray, but if you're Muslim, you can't. I mean, this is completely upside down. In a very short amount of time, it's flipped. But the agenda has been going on for decades and decades and decades. You can see how strong the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ is by how long it has taken to break the hedge. Decades of faithfulness. Decades, I hear it too, decades of faithfulness to this agenda. Decades of systematically seeding 
the church with false ministers and seeding government with double agents and seeding the teachers, not just seat, S-E-A-T, S-E-E-D, seeding these things with the tares among the wheat, which is an amazing series. It's a two-part. Well, tares among the wheat is the second part to it. Uh, but if you go there, it'll tell you what the first part is. Light in the darkness? Is that what the first part is called, I think, the video? Before, okay, light in the darkness. Well, Tears Among the Weed is second. Oh, and Road to Babylon, I need to get caught up. Road to Babylon is the third one. Three-part series on the Word of God, the journey that it's taken, how we got here, but really how the um, insidious but very patient plan. See, we want immediate results in the body of Christ. Lay hands on me now. Anoint me now. I want to be prophesied into my position now. We're telling people it's going to take you three to four years to be educated as a prophet or an apostle in training, and people are like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be in training that long. Huh? Let me have a doctor or nurse who tells me why they go to the full, I don't want the full training because I don't want to have to waste, in quotes, four years of my life in training. I just wanted to do the job. Now, I consider that protective measures in saving my life. I'm trying to understand how you consider training to be a waste of time whenever people's lives are on the other side of it. You can't bypass training for much of anything that requires dealing with the public. But before we continue with that conversation, let's talk about product highlights. What's for sale today in the Jesus Impala land? PPM Global Resources Assessments, MAQ and PAQ, 15% off. If you're somebody who has been waiting, look, there's some eyebrows up in the room. Really? Huh. If you've been waiting for the assessment to go on sale, they're both on sale now. 15% off. The code is Jesus and Paula. Jesus and Paula, and this code here has caps. For Jesus and Paula, it's all one, you know, code word, but a capital J, capital A, capital P. That's the code. So you can enter that in, get 15% off or 20% off of the teaching, identifying false gods, the teaching identifying false gods. And throughout the broadcast, it will either be pinned in the bottom of the feed or Rachel will put it up in the comments so that you know you can get this teaching for 20% off. Jesus and Paula is the code. Again, prophetic ed, if you need an advisement, bless the Lord, then your code 10% off all advisements, Jesus and Paula, that's the code. You guessed it, Jesus and Paula. We're going to take a few commercial moments here to tell you about PPM Global Resources, how you can visit the website, also about the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute, which June to me is right around the corner. I don't care that it's still January. June is right around the corner as far as I'm concerned. Dr. Price's birthday is in February, February 21st. Dr. Price will be 70 years old, 70 years young. We have to say that. You know why? Because we're chasing her. I know she thinks she's chasing us. No, no. We're chasing you. And so she'll be 70 years young. We are having a birthday party for her in March, March 12th. On Saturday, March 12th, the whole wide world is invited. When you go to drpaulaaprice.com and you click on events, you'll see 
the uh, TPTI, Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute, and Dr. Price's birthday. So if you're coming to her party, her celebration, whatever this is going to end up being, a gala, so you'll need to bust out the good bling now. Come on. Uh, yeah, yeah, just, all right. Maybe get out your uh, King's Ball dress. That's probably what I'm going to wear, what I wore then. Who am I kidding? I'm sure I'll be shopping three times by then to find something new on clearance, my favorite area to shop which has nothing to do with this show, you can RSVP for her party there. Uh, you can come. We have people coming in from out of town. She does know she's having a party. She does know when it is. She has no idea who's coming or what we're doing because there's no point, no, no point in trying to hide a party from her. Just tell her we're doing it, and this is where you need to be at this time. And so that's how we do that here. But we'll be right back in whatever other commercials Rachel has. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Okay, you saw a quick commercial moment there letting you know many things going on in the world of Dr. Paula Price. Full-fledged everything we have going on around here. The men's ministry is first Saturday of the month men's meeting. You are welcome to join us whether you are a member of the Congregation of the Mighty or not. Come together, learn about God, his word, prayer. Is it prayer? Are you guys still in the prayer? Uh, In the adventures in prayer? Now, our men's meetings are not about men hashing out their problems in the sense of a complaining fest. 
if you have an issue with women in ministry, okay, keep that to yourself. If you don't agree with how things are done here, that's not the dumping ground for that. The men, the mighty men in the congregation of the mighty are about becoming mighty in God, mighty through God, mighty for God, mighty because of God for the pulling down of strongholds. They're studying prayer right now in intercession, the power of men praying. I remember, uh, Elder Aaron, the first men start to pray, okay, galvanizes men. Of course, she's a shepherd of the house. And uh, in the first men's meeting that they had, the breakfast with her, she talked about how men were the major intercessors in Scripture. And we, Jesus Christ prayed. He listened. He's Jesus in the flesh, and he prayed and prayed and prayed. Where is Jesus? Off praying. Everybody wants to celebrate his miracles. Where is he at? Off praying. Everybody's afraid. Where is he besides sometimes to sleep? <laughs> uh, off praying. Up in the mountain, praying. And he went off to pray, and he went off to pray, and he went off to pray, and he doubled over and groaned in the spirit and prayed. That was Jesus Christ. The, model, the, the best model of prayer intercession is in Jesus Christ. And so it's completely unscriptural to say it's the woman's role to pray. And, you know, that's women's work, and the men do all the real work of ministry. Jesus prayed and prayed and prayed. I need to go to the Father. I need to seek his face. He was in prayer over everything, which is why when we're addressing men being the head of the household, husbands being the head of the household, loving their wife as Christ loved the church, the model that Jesus set is often not the model that we see being played out because what men are taught about being men versus what Scripture said being a man is all about are not always the same thing, just like with women. It's what we're taught, what's important about our womanhood versus what the Lord and what Scripture says, old to new, about womanhood, two completely different things. And so the mighty men, the men of might, the mighty men in the congregation of the mighty dig into what's important to God as a man and teenagers. You saw in the commercial, we want the young kids there. We want the te- at least the teenage boys there, not the littles, although the littles have been there too. So let me take that back. Does they have bothered? I want to go to the men's meeting. Come on. Come on. In this society, Satan is stalking our children from preschool in the womb. He's trying to get them in the womb. There's no such thing as too soon as far as we're concerned for them to be involved. A lot of the young boys don't have fathers in the homes. And so having them be a part of the men's meeting is at least putting them in the circle of men who are godly. Godly. Okay godly, who are seasoned, who are settled, who are stable, to be that standard that the little boys can look up to and say, I want to be like Elder Aaron when I grow up. I want to be like, I mean, I was in shock the first time I heard that from the girls in our church. This was 10 years ago. Prophet Ashley at the time, I watch you every week. I watch what you wear. I watch what you say. I watch how you conduct yourself. I want to be just like you when I grow up. And I was like, oh, I need more time. I want to be just like how you think I am, <laughs> you know, when I grow up, too. <laughs> and, then, you know, then I was in my early 30s, and so I was like, oh, so do I. I want to grow up and be exactly the person you think I am. Because I was, at that time, really still trying to land in on my identity. It's amazing what 10 years can do when you don't run. We always tell people the process will work if you don't run. If you don't run, 
in a Monday night, we started our 10 days of prayer. Monday night, Dr. Price gave an exhortation or something after prayer. <laughs> and part of that was not quitting. The only way to guarantee failure is to quit. That's the only way to guarantee failure is to quit. You can keep trying and mess up, but you're still trying. You're still pressing, and one day you might just get it right if you follow the plan as uh, prescribed. And, you know, it's kind of like a medication, how the propensity is to stop taking it when you feel good. Because, really, you only think about taking it because you feel bad. And then once you feel better, you're like, oh, I'm done with this. What does every doctor tell you? The nurse, take it until it's empty. I don't need this. The blood of Jesus. Listen, if the blood of Jesus was going to cover it, he'd have covered it before you went in to see that doctor. All right? So if he had you go, he needs you to follow the whole plan unless, of course, (laughs) you know, something crazy with what we're dealing with now. You might want to be a little more circumspect. Finish the prescription. That's the word for today. Finish the pre-word. <laughs> Finish the prescription. If God prescribed that you do it this way, he brought people into your life to lead you and guide you, I don't care what ministry you're in, if these are vetted, trusted leaders of God, finish the prescription. You mean I'm going to, come on, now lean in. You mean I'm going to have to be on this for the rest of my life if you want to have a rest of your life? Yeah. What do you mean I have to take this high blood pressure medication? Now, are there things you can do? Yeah. Will it help? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on your, your condition. Diabetes. There are people who they're going to have to, you're going to use insulin the rest of your life. Others, their diet, they get under control, they exercise, they change some things, they can pull it back, bring things down, even diminishing the strength of a medication, but you still might have to take just a little bit to keep you straight in your body. And that's how it is in Christ. Because, see, we want that one prescription and done. Just tell me what's the, what's the most powerful, uh, fastest prescription that I can have to knock this thing out so I can go. Now, sometimes that's true. But many times it's like, well, hmm. You take something too strong for what you can handle, it will damage other organs. Well, they took this for this, but it damaged your kidneys. It hurt, hurt their liver. And so how you handle your readiness and healing and restoration process is just as important in the spirit and in your soul as it is in the body. You can't run willy-nilly with something or snatch somebody else's prescription and hope that it works for you. Well, I like this better than this. Ah, well, you know, that's according to their weight it's according to their illness. It's according to some other things. And, and you just shouldn't, and they tell you, you just shouldn't snatch somebody else's medication, use it for you. How about medication that is old and expired? Right? Tina's a nurse. She's a nurse in the room. We have a nurse in the room. Old, expired medication. What's that, Apostle Ashley? That's reaching back to old doctrine, reaching back to old prophecies that have expired. Yes, prophecies have a window of time in which to be fulfilled. So they're expired. So you don't like what's in front of you. I'm going to reach back into the old and reach back into the old. Retreating into yesteryear is a very common option. It's easy to do. Sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it because, hey, you've come through something. You've lived it. You've experienced it. It becomes a part of who you are. And so it's hard to separate you now from you then. It's like if you haven't been home in a while, your hometown, whatever, and then you go back you see how much you've changed. 
But if you keep continuing going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, change can oftentimes be slowed down. It can be imperceptible. It's like if somebody's losing weight and you don't see them for a while, you see them, you're like, whoa, you've lost weight. Versus if you see them every week, it takes a while, and then you say, are we slimming down? Are we? Is there less of you than I remember? Yeah, 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 I've actually lost 15 pounds. And you're like, wow. Versus if you hadn't seen them and then you see them, it's more obvious. But reaching back into the past is like digging under that counter or over your sink, wherever your medications may be, for old, expired medication that you didn't want to throw away because, hey, you paid money for it, right? How many, times, how many things do we not throw away because we spent money on it? Uh, we don't use it. We don't need it. It's not helpful, but, hey, we invested in it. And, uh, and so you, we want to save it for a rainy day knowing it's going to go bad. Yeah, but I might need it one day. But when you need it, it won't help you. In fact, it might hurt you. And so reaching back to old remedies, even ones that God gave you in the past, to take where you are right now, might hurt you more than it helps you. Have you thought of that? Hmm, Selah, things to think about. Temptation, always going back, always going back, always going back, when back did not help you, or at least didn't help you to get to where you are now or to get to the next level. Because not everything in your past is terrible. Not everything in your past is detrimental. Not everything. But if you have made major shifts in life because of where you came from, those circumstances, then looking back is almost never going to be beneficial. And so reaching for that under-the-counter, over-the-counter fix, when the Lord is like, finish your prescription. Finish what has been prescribed. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, okay? He has a prescription to give us a future and a hope. But what is my future and hope is not what's your future and hope. Just like prescription, everybody might have, let's just say, there might be three, five, statistically speaking, how many thousands or millions of people are on the same medication? But it's not the same instructions. It's not the same weight. It's not the same length, the same pills. And so even though there are common things that run through all of pharmaceuticals, how they are doled out is not the same. That's why your pharmacist has got to be educated in the science of allocating medicine and not just slinging pills into a bottle and say, oh, what's your name? How many do you need? That's why there's a difference between the -the over-the-counter medication and the prescription medication. Tylenol, okay, anybody over this age or older, no matter really how much you weigh, what your pain is in general, just take two of these every four hours. Do not exceed X amount in a day. Is that what they say? Boom, general. That's your general fix. General fix. But then when you have to get specific and then don't, there's the pharmaceutical. So there's the ibuprofen, then there's the pharmaceutical grain, ibuprofen. So not the same. You know, there's the pharmaceutical names for things. There's the counter names that the rest of we mere mortals use. Give me that. You start meeting people in the industry, in the business, and they run off all the medical terminology for it. And we're like, what? Uh, ibuprofen. Oh, why don't you just say so? You know? It's like, well, why don't you just say so? They're like, we did. In, in our, in our uh, professional, official terminology, this is what it's called. And so we have to separate 
what is that prescribed pharmaceutical grade treatment from God where only his specialists in the kingdom can dole it out versus the over-the-counter ministry where anybody can minister to you for the most part who's qualified. Somebody, you know, there's a time when anybody can lay hands on you and pray. You just touch and agree, the saints, there are those scriptures. But then there's that time when you need the hem of his garment to pass you by. Can just can your dirty hem walk by? Can I will crawl on the ground? And there's a time when the apostle's shadow is going to do something. So it's not the same, and Scripture tells us it's not the same, even though it's the same. Prayer is not prayer the same from everybody. That marginalization that we've done in the body of Christ has led people to believe that you can pray and I can pray. That's like me saying, hey, a surgeon can cut you open. I can cut you open. Technically, I can cut you open. Oh, did you want something to bring you back to life happen? Well, then don't come to me. Because I can, I can only take a knife to you and open you up. Now, once you're open, uh, I'm at a loss. Okay, versus the surgeon, <laughs> the surgeon who gets to work on you. But see, that surgeon has to have a staff of people to take care of you. The anesthesiologist has got to knock you out, not kill you, knocking you out, which means taking systems offline so your body isn't traumatized by the pain of them cutting into you, and they're monitoring everything that they're doing while you are unconscious. Let's talk about the pre-op and post-op, pre-operation, post-operation process that you have to go through. See, we think deliverance is a moment, but if we liken deliverance to surgery, removing a tumor, removing, fixing something, whatever that's gone awry in the body, then we see you just don't go and have surgery the first time you see the doctor, do you? No. You better hope not. If you do, it's some other nation. <laughs> or it's the back room and the, the pet the pet vet stop short store that it's the street doc, what'd you say? Okay, right. Well, just like that, you dragging one leg in. Usually, you know, in the, in the movies and everything, it's somebody who is on the run. They, they're in trouble. And when they're in trouble and they can't go to the officials, they hide by going behind the system, under the system, and hope they get out with their life. Well, I, I can't afford uh, a transplant. I can't wait for the surgery. And so they're going to go to the black market and have some doctor who actually might be an actual legitimate doctor, I would hope, but illegally, illegally give you a transplant. So we have all kinds of illegalities happening in the spirit realm, in the natural the body of Christ. And we don't realize, because last week she talked about being lawless, the bacteria of lawlessness. And so we have a lot of lawless ways in the body of Christ because we've told ourselves, hey, you can pray, I can pray. You can operate, I can operate. You have Jesus, I have Jesus. We all think that because we have Jesus. And even Scripture says we all don't have him to the same. We don't have the, Scripture tells us we don't have the same measure of faith. We don't have the same measures of favor. We don't, there is no unilateral equality other than the general promises that come with redemption. And even those have conditions. You should. If you believe on Christ, you should have everlasting life. If you stick with it, don't leave God. He won't leave you. 
stay, stay with him. It all tells us the word is very clear on how this plays out. And so you have the surgeon who has the team, the process. You First of all, you're, maybe you're minding your business. You have a regular checkup, and something strange shows up, and then they're like, okay, we need to get this taken care of. Maybe you're having uh, something malfunction in your body. There's a disorder. My head is hurting. My knee is my cap is sliding out. My back is spasming, whatever. And so you go to the doctor. So maybe it's a disorder or a malfunction that drives you to the doctor. Either way, you get there. Then you have to be examined tested, and then diagnosed. This whole thing that we have now, you talk to your doctor over the thing, you tell them what's up, and they give you a diagnosis, that is scary. But in the body of Christ, you want to come in and just say this. You, We want to tell God what our problem is. We want to tell the apostle and prophet what our problem is. And then we want to tell them how we want to be treated. And then we want to tell them what our prognosis is. And then we want to tell them what the surgery should be. And we want to tell them how long we should be take to get ready for God to use us. And no, that's not how any of this works. That is nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in the world it does that work in any structured institutional system. Teachers don't tell you I'm qualified to teach your student. The Board of Education verifies that they're qualified to teach your student. And because we don't have that higher accountability in the body of Christ, people are running around all over the place. So you have all your pre-op. And then you schedule your surgery, which may or may not be within this century these days. And when you get closer to your surgery, what do they do again? Take your blood. We need to test you right now before we cut you open to make sure you're not going to hemorrhage on the table, make sure your iron count is strong, your this is that, and your blood pressure isn't off the charts, and you haven't, in between your last visit and now, done more damage to your body yourself, or something else hasn't gone awry in your body that we can't see. So before we cut you open, we need to make sure that you're stable enough to survive the surgery that's meant to help you so you come out alive on the other side. And then when you go in that day, depending on what's happening, we're going to check you one more time, one more time just to make sure so that when we put you under, we we can bring you back and that you'll come back. Then you have the procedure. Then there's the recovery time, healing, maybe physical therapy, maybe rest, stitches, Maybe they'll dissolve. Maybe they're ones that they have to pull out. Oh, God, help us. You know, all, all kinds of, we, we, we don't even know what, and then we, okay, this is the first of three surgeries. We're going to go in this time and take care of this. If that heals well, then we can go back in, whatever the process is for you. But in Christ, in the body of Christ, we want cookie-cutter solutions, don't we? Because we have so watered everything down. Everybody's issues have been watered down. God's solutions have been watered down. I just, I come, I get in this prayer line every week. How come I'm still fighting this? That's like saying you take vitamins every day. Why, are you, why do you still have issues in your body? Well, vitamins are a supplement, not an actual whole treatment plan, just like the regular ones. They can be a part of something, but the supplement is not going to dissolve whatever growth you have. It's, that's, that's just to help you get through the process, but it's not the process. And so we want to bring it down many times to the simplest thing with the least amount of pain and, bless God, money that we have to pay, time that I have to spend. You mean I have how much homework? Price you. All right? 
you go to school, the students in the room are like, yeah. We have how, how much homework to do before we, how many hours a week? Well, I didn't know it was going to take this much to get through school. Now, you just went through, you've been through, I don't know how many uh, levels of education for your secular career, have to recertify every year to maintain your job have to recertify and then take these additional things if you want a promotion. Forget promotion. Let's talk about pay, pay raise. 25 cents, 50 cents, $1. Well, if you want to get $1.50 an hour more, then you need to take these three classes for $1.50 an hour. Five, three to $2, two dollars. Ooh, I got a $2 an hour raise. What? Huh? What are they? Well, I'm, I'm going to do it because they're going to give me my $2 an hour. Isn't that what we say? Because I'm going to get everything out of this job, and they're going to give me everything that I want, and I don't care what everybody says. And then you go to do something for God. Don't want to pay. You can tell the dean is in the room. She said, you don't want to pay 25 cents. And then try and get three years of education on paying $500, talking about I owe the university all this money that we know we ain't never going to see. And since then, you purchased a new car. You purchased a new house. You have a new wardrobe. You sent money home to people who blew their money and don't deserve your money and didn't give it to the institution or institutions that ties to the house of God. No matter where you go, if I'm talking about you, just understand God is speaking. And you sent it, okay, to all these other people who squandered their money, don't deserve Whatever you're doing, you are breaking your word to God. You signed an agreement with that institution saying you were going to pay that tuition. The condition of your entry was the trust. And then you're going to be the first person to tell us what we need to do with this building, with these programs, and how we're going to do that because you haven't paid your tuition. Because <laughs> we actually pay bills with your tuition. All right? We're not trying to hoard money around here. You know, these improvements and things that we want, that's your tuition. That's Paying, and then you're going to sit down, and, and we're going to have to have a meeting, and you tell us about our financial management. Let's talk about your financial mismanagement. I think the funniest day in the office ever, I, I saw her come in. I thought I saw her Elder come in. The funniest days in the Price University office is the day uh, Elder Della locks people out of their classes because they haven't paid tuition. <laughs> I wish I had a camera. Because she'll sit at her desk smiling, and we're like, what are you smiling at? If you walk past the office, she said, oh, I lost people out of class, so we're about to get a whole lot of money today. And maybe the thousands roll in. I can't get in my class. You didn't pay your tuition. Isn't that funny? How that happens? Let you not pay that light. You paid the light bill, which you refused to put on forbearance because you didn't want your bad credit. You paid that. You've done all these things except when it comes to, somebody said ouch, except when it comes to paying God because of doctrine. So for God's institutions, the money's just going to manifest. No, it's supposed to show up through you, your contract and your agreement. Half of these ministries wouldn't have to ask for money right now if their people would give their tithes and offerings and tuitions. That is all. You're receiving something for everything you get from the house of the Lord, especially if it's something like ours. Saints act like tithing and offerings and tuition, like there's no return. In fact, you've already received. 
you already you, you've had classes, you you've done these things. This is why institutions get very rigid and hard hearted because the generosity has been taken advantage of. Tithes and offerings, um, you've received a word that's literally changed your life. And you're holding out on God, really? Tuition, you have education. If you leave here tomorrow, like any institution, education you receive, you can build something anywhere you go off of what you learn. Your mind doesn't dump that. God doesn't snatch it on your way out. Whoop! Well, I have seen him actually take some things out of people's minds before they leave. So let me not say that. I have seen him say, give me your mind. Give me your mind. I'm going to take your peace <laughs> because you've left a hot mess in your wake. And I'll tell you what, but you, you're going to walk away with that education and do something with it. Pay up, people. Pay up. Listen, you can tell God is talking right now. Pay your tithes and offerings. Pay your tuition, especially if you go here. I got the blink. I got the blink. You don't understand how you mess over your inheritance when you mess over God's. When you mess over his money, you mess over his people, you mess over his leaders, your life gets very messy. Because his hand at peace is like, no, 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 no. I don't want you walking around thinking I'm blessing this misconduct. Because God doesn't bless misconduct, unrighteousness, sin, wickedness, backstabbing, backbiting, busybody, gossip, lying witness against your neighbor, all kinds of, he doesn't bless that. It's, it's in the word. It's in the black letters and the red letters. It's a red. Look at you, looking all. You looking like it's Resurrection Sunday. Like you about to I'm preach the resurrection word. I'm all resurrection. Yes. You know, I'm liking this new phone here. You know. I tell you, you're gonna love this phone. This I'm thing is fantastic. I, I want the phone. Right? Yeah. You know. Yeah. This is the fold. How are you all doing? Great. I am so glad to see you. You're going to love. You're gonna love. Almost. Not like and adore me today. Oh, you're right. We're going to love you. They're going to love me today. We prophesy love. Now, I'm going to tell you if, you, are, if you are a leader, a trainer, resource person, if you are an assessor, you want to pay attention to today, and you definitely want to have your staff or your mentees listen. This will be a very strong, but I think very developmental lesson. I'm excited. I'm excited. You know? She's already excited. Start 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 through. Am I plugged in or what? I'm all plugged in. Yeah, I'm looking at the screen. Amen. So the reason that I am saying this is because I want to open I want to open this with um you understanding getting an understanding of what's going on. You know, the Bible is very um, clear about the difference between wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. They bear different fruit because they manifest in different ways. And many times, because the church has been so theological that it's been over-spiritual, as if when we get into this earth realm, uh, the spirituality is all there is for us if we're in Christ, and naturality only belongs to those who are not in Christ. So we need to figure out, because remember, when the church, when the ecclesia entered the planet, there was no church. There were no congregations. Everything was kingdom. Everything was social. Everything was sovereign. 
everything was cultural and everything was divine. There was no, this is the church and then this is the world. Now, that, that statement existed in Scripture, but it existed in Scripture from the perspective of biotic. The embodiment of the Godhead took you out of the, took the world out of you and set you in God's sphere and realm. But God still started with kingdom. You start the kingdom. You start nations with the progenitors. I think that's just so interesting. That we, yeah. You know, you have to understand how God starts. So part of what, where you're stuck is that you've been taught that whatever you hear on Sunday morning in the services, in your worship service, is all there is to know about getting along in this world because you've been trained to work on getting out of the planet and not conquering it. You've been trained to work on escaping the rules and the protocols and the, the regimens of humanity. You've been you're working on that. And that is where you get stuck. So you go to your job, and when you, get, when you do your job or you get fired or you don't get a promotion, it's because of your religion. It's because you're a Christian. It's because the devil is on your case. See, the devil's got the same protocols as you. They just happen for different reasons. See, they do, they're stuck with the same creator elements and components and features as you are. They just have them for different reasons. Theirs is to still kill and destroy, and yours is to manifest the Godhead and maintain its dominion in all creation. See, same thing. So they're going to fight you with your attributes. My mind. Okay. Which is why you have to be stronger and you have to be better. You know, the, the person who cheats at the, the games is not cheating with some different skill set. They're cheating with the very same skill set. Do you hear me? Because you, you're going to have to start playing according to the rules. Paul said that if he's going to run his race, he's got to compete what? According to the rules. Rules means laws, means codes, means protocols. It means guidelines. It means statutes. It means regulations. So all of the reasons that you've been using to be mediocre or inadequate or as the Holy Ghost is saying right now, insufficient. The Lord calls his church insufficient. Why? Because it's not reigning. Right. Because it's not ruling. It's not even dominating. And right now, I'm going so far as to say, it's not influencing. So how did we get here? How do we go from being the world power? When I ask this question, and I say it so frequently because it amazes me that we have been ripped out of our seat. I said, well, how many of you, and I, I don't care if it's a small group or a large group, how many of you know that the church once ruled the world? Yeah, right, right. We, if we get 2% of the hands, yeah. because remember, your, your, your pastor is no longer teaching you church history. They were, they were having church history taught in the universities and the college. Now they're teaching church history. Temporality, they're teaching, um, you know, what, what do we call it, cultural or socialized church. So you don't know that the battle that the socialists or communists and Democrats and Republicans and whatever you are, other nations, is all about Christ. Right. And it's all about, more specifically, Christ in you. Hmm. See, so if they can't stop Christ from being in you, 
that can stop you from letting him be, letting him be sovereign and supreme through your attributes, through your abilities, through your talents. So you, when you go to a job or whatever, especially if you're word of faith or charismatic or apostolic or prophetic, any of those kind of, you know, Holy Spirit, you know, power, ideology, churches, then you automatically blame, you, as far as you're concerned, God is going to give you the end, he's going to give you the edge, and if not, he'll cheat for you. And he's going to snatch, the unrighteously snatch what those that are not in him have to give to you. The fact is that the Lord's church has lost its influence. That is the church's doing. That is your leader's doing. That's your pastor's doing. And, and so now we have the whole of the, our authority is the authority of the believer, which means everything about you is subjective, prejudice, and bias toward you, not Jesus. No, no, not Jesus, toward you. Then it's good. And, so, and you are good. In your prayer closet, you are the star. <laughs> I thought you, maybe you're Emmy Award, you're a award-winning singer in a shower. Till you get out there and see this little three-year-old voice that sounds like it's going around the corner. So the Holy Spirit has given me a whole suite of uh, training, textbooks, assessments, etc. You know, and when people deal with you, because people assume that they are as good as you because they see you through their eyes. Oh, my. See, Paul calls it measuring yourself by yourself. So they measure you by them, by themselves. They don't measure you by any kind of standard, any kind of objective to detached standard. They measure you by you, by themselves. And as far as they're concerned, if you do more than them, then you're showing off and being prideful, not excellent, not superb. Come on. Okay? I'm telling you, you need to tell everybody, if you are a supervisor at work, you're going to love this session. If you are a manager, senior manager, founder, mentor, coach, you're going to love this session because I'm going to get you to a point that you get, you are able to justify your selections, verify their credibility and authenticity. Because we don't use those words any longer in the church. We don't talk about the authentic gospel because we have a modified gospel. So we don't talk about this is the truth. We say true, but we, we mean true from the moment that the pastor or the speaker approves it. Right now, the church thinks it ought to approve Jesus Christ. Right. I'm going to need you to improve on being him. Wow. So we need to go from approve to improve. So when I sat down and I tell a person, because have you been ready to meet the mind of Christ that God gave me for being who I am as his chief apostle? First of all, don't tackle anybody with any title unless, you have, unless you're in that title. Because you don't know what a title consists of. See, there are a lot of things that are, that are threaded and weaved, granulated, if you will, in every title. So if you don't share that title, you, then you're speaking from fantasy and imagination. And I will thoroughly disrespect you for that. I will. Because good, good works at being good by understanding what good means and contrasting it with what isn't. 
And so you have no, when people do that, when you all do that, you have no, you're not a comparative thinker. You're not a contrasting thinker. You're an emotional thinker based on fantasies and, and illusions and ideologies that you have nurtured and incubated in place of being ready, in place of being educated. That's my preface. That's my preface. I have a preface. My preface. So today I'm going to talk to you about novices. What is it to be a novice? See, because you don't understand, you are judging what you don't know. You are judging the faculties that you've never nurtured, let alone, let alone uh, perfected. So you're giving an imperfect assessment based on your imperfections because you don't want to be shown to not be as educated or enlightened or efficient as you imagine. See, we're still dealing with your imagination. God's calling, God calls it in Scripture vain imagination. The word vain means empty, hollow, idle, and non-productive, as well as unprofitable. So your knowledge may be nice, but it's not profitable for any institution or any venture to use and rely on to, re, to, to what monetize, for lack of a better word, and to, there's no currency to your existence other than your fantasy. Your fantasy is your currency. Now, listen, that's not altogether bad because we have a whole industry, you know, whole, what do you call it, whole industry based on fantasy. And the currency is delusion. Or entertainment or amusement both of which can lapse into delusion in, in excess or in the, when we take reality out of it or we make your fantasy your reality. So a lot of times I, ch- I challenge people because I want to know your reality. You see, I know your fantasy because, you know, church, we've been trained to come tell everybody our vision. I'm going to tell you my vision. We start out, and then I'm going to tell you my testimony, and then I'm going to tell you my trial. And then I'm going to tell you how I am waiting on the Lord. And then I'm going to talk about my faith. Everything that cannot be measured or monetized. So you need to understand. So I have this. If you don't, they should be able to see it rather vividly. But if you look on here, this one I did not create. The last one that you see, I did create. So. I want, you know, all of these word clouds, I create them. And when I don't, I tell you that I didn't. Novice. So when we say novice versus expert, we're talking about, number one, a novice is a beginner. So when you come and you're going to talk to somebody who's been serving God effectively and prosperously for 5, 10, 15 years, and you just got saved Monday morning, you know nothing. We know we're only hear, hearing from your fantasy and your vain imagination. We're not, and we're hearing from your delusions and your confusion. See, the reason that you can't fix this is because you have all of these ministers who've been taught, well, I just won't tell them. I'll just let them go and wander in the, in the field. Well, I know it's wrong, but I'm just going to send them out and tell them to do their own ministry so you can fall on your face. But that's all right. But see, they're going to take your people with them. 
So you can send them out because you don't want to confront them because you don't want to be a true mentor who will help and nurture them, who will whatever. Yeah, people do get hot with me, you know, but then uh, people get hot with me since I've been on the planet. That's like, you know, I want you to understand. That's part of my temperature now, you know. You know, I'm, I'm 98 point get mad. Okay? That's what they do because the quality people, hear me, quality people want to know how to fix it. They want to know how to be good. They want to know, even if they get mad with you, they're going to sit there and say all of the right things and go home, bust all the way in the car, bust all the way up, and if they say the Holy Ghost is going to let them talk, calm down, wake them up in the morning and say, okay, so now let's revisit this. See, if the Holy Ghost can't correct you through people, he knows that you are, he's going to have to break you directly. See, the only reason you have so many trials is because you're unreachable. You're unteachable. You're unlearnable. So God is like, well, listen, if you can't get it by word, then I'm going to do it by works. See, you need to know your God. Those who know their God are strong. You need to know how God thinks. And God's attitude is, I'm in it to minute. Now, you don't mind slipping into last place. I don't do last place unless it's called a maker. See, that's what you need to get. You think because you, you're all right with being number two, three, four, and five, you think God wants to step down. God is never going to step down. He will drop you. You know, the Internet will drop you when you're corrupt. They got that from the maker. So God will drop you. That's why you feel like your prayer life is coming nowhere. He dropped you. That's why you haven't heard from him for a long time, because he dropped you. That's why you feel like I can't lift up my hands and praise. I can't worship, because he dropped you. He dropped you off because it was corrupting where he was going and what he's going to do. When God goes silent, that's because he took you offline. He doesn't have to announce it. He figured after six months or a year, you'd put it together. I remember when God and I, when Jesus and I, Jesus remembered soon. He remembered how you disrespected it and you wouldn't come up to his standard. You notice the Bible doesn't say drop down to hell to meet God. It says come up to the mount of the Lord. <laughs> wow. Are they all right? Are you, right? Social media, y'all okay? They are not okay. They, oh, she said they are not okay. <laughs> So you need to understand when we look at when we look at the whole idea of um of a novice, we're looking at somebody who is a beginner. Not really. <laughs> and, and so you don't realize the first thing you lack as a as a novice is knowledge. Because when you go to school, you don't go to school with all the knowledge. You go to school with an imagination of what the knowledge is and assumption that you have a good part of it. And it's not until you get in your class and you start reading books and try to do homework and getting failing papers that you realize that you came with a misimpression of what it takes to do what you are pursuing. And so, so you lack that. You lack knowledge. So what is the knowledge you lack? First of all, you lack, you lack the knowledge of why that field exists. You lack the knowledge of its journey from being novice in itself to the standards. Most novices do not agree with standards. 
And they, they, they just test uniformity because as far as they're concerned, it impedes their ingenuity. They detest uniformity because they feel it impedes their ingenuity. I have my ideas. They they want their innovation to break the uniformity of the standard that has kept that institution or field all these years. What we're living today, these are all these are these people are world today. The cancel wokeism and all that. Those are all takeover artists who have brought our country back to a novice state of existence. And they're exploiting that novice because you can't exploit an expert. So you have experts making novices out of our nation. See, they're experts at taking down nations. But you can only take down a nation with immaturity and disability and debilitation independent. You cannot take that. That's why America was top, because we were the standard. We, we worked ourselves up. We became the standard, and then we, we spread that standard around the world. Well, what did we think was going to happen? Somebody was going to be envious. Somebody would be resentful. I say it all the time, and I say it again. Number one has one problem, and that's number two. And number two has one obsession, to be number one. And we allowed number two, three, four, and five to unseat us because they took our, our expertise and turned it into theirs and downgraded it in many ways in the process or upgraded it because we forgot to superintend our success. See, we didn't, we didn't tend to our success. We celebrated it. We relished it. We, we had all of that. And then what we did, which was even worse, is that we then, not only did we not attend to it, we stopped, we stopped appreciating it. And we, so we went from, well, you don't need to be rigid, to we are now, we went from rigid to relaxed to lax. That's how we got schooled. That's how we have students that can't read. Because let me tell you, when you're number one and you know you have to fight to get there, Baby, you understand number two is always sleeping on your doorstep. And you, one day, you went out there to be kind. I'm going to bring you a blanket, and then I'm going to give you a snack, and then I'm going to let you sleep in my lobby, and then I'm going to let you sleep in my first floor, and then I'll give you a place in the reception area. And before it's all over, it, for nothing, no contribution except being there, number two is now sitting outside your office and siphoning your success. Because that's what they did. Because you, you don't take out any power. You can't even take out a house from the outside as easily as you can from the inside. Because if you take it out from the inside, you gain permission and you and the permitter yields their will to you. We yielded our will. And why? It started out with us forgetting or not appreciating, ceasing to appreciate, if you will, how we became the great United States. We are we were Nebuchadnezzar's mighty oak. All the world came into our limbs and branches. And how did it start? Knowledge. And now, 
here we are now, we're being fed the very knowledge that took down all of these, these states that were under us. They have become our laws and our mandates, our religion even. Isn't that sad? I remember once listening to one of Barack Obama's speeches, and he stood up and said, America's not a Christian nation. I thought, okay. I was like, are you kidding me? You're not flipping us from Islam to Islam. You're trying to flip us from Christianity to Islam. So why do you have to, if we're not a Christian nation, why are you standing here trying to flip us? Clearly, you're saying, well, we bought in, we've infiltrated, we've inseminated, so as far as we're concerned, you're no longer a Christian nation. Well, you're probably right. We may not be Christian, but we still be elect. And we're still the first family of creation. And that's what God is going to give us a shot for. We're going to get a break. God is going to give us a break. There will be a respite. I prophesied this to you. God is going to give us, as the United States of America, one more shot. And when I say one, I don't mean 1.1, 1.2. We get one more shot. Now, I'm telling you this because you need to know that when we do, what are we going to do with that shot? What are we going to do with that opportunity? Because that opportunity determines whether we, whether we get that one shot and over the next 20, 25 years we get an opportunity to clean out what's happened to us and to renovate ourselves, purge ourselves, or however we want to do it. How are we going to make that happen? Because if we don't, we will not get another shot. And five years from today, this thing will resume and it will win. That's the word of the Lord. So you have a five-year window to prove to God that his, his last-ditch effort to keep us, the United States of America, is worthwhile. That means you're going to have, and I'm telling you, this is more than this whole seven mountain and all of that. Thing. I'm telling you, the military is going to have to prove to the Almighty that it, it can keep a nation, all right? The government is going to have to prove to the Almighty that it can, it can purge out and cleanse itself of all the infiltration. Education is going to have to prove it. I want you to know family is going to have to prove it. Business and enterprise is going to have to prove it. Even our amusements, because right now our amusements are all witchcraft, witchy, wizardy, and dark. You've got five years, United States of America, not six, because this is going to break. And when God breaks it, five years after he gives you back the reins of power, you are going to have to work hard day and night to prove to him we should stay in the United States. Because God's like, I don't care either way. My world is fine. I did everything I could do, including making you a nation under my son's name. I did everything that it took for you to remain a perpetual glory, a perpetual treasure, and a perpetual access to me. You went and start the, you went slumming. Is it falling? Where's it going? Okay. Well, at this stage, there's I was happy. There we go. Okay, she's got me all intact again. I feel, I feel intact. So I need you to recognize the reins of authority are going to shift back to us. That is going to happen. That is not a wonder if, when, now. Because God started toppling this thing the middle of last year. That is why you see the, the, the outcomes are changing. Because God has, is giving us 
one shot. I promise you, I don't care what a false prophet tell you. I don't care what your psychic says. I don't care what your – as a matter of fact, if your psychics are real, real they're going to tell you I'm right. If your wizards are real, they're going to tell you I'm right. Why? Because God has already told Satan to stand down. Hallelujah. God's already told him to stand down. Now, he's going to do his damage control. He'll spin his narrative. You know, like the narrative now, and all of a sudden, herd, herd immunity was really the best way. See, that's God telling Satan to stand down. Okay, so the pandemic is not as tanny as it was. It's the endemic. It's the endemic. Why? Because God has already told Satan to stand down. That means he's got to pull back his hand. He's got to reassign his children. He's got to set aside his agenda, and he's got to go back into his box for a little bit. Just a little bit. See, but you can't prophesy this dimension of prophetic if you don't sit in your heavenly in your heavenly seat in God. So this is going to happen. This is not something. This is happening because God wants to see if he can give us one more time for this generation to repair the past, to literally heal the present and prepare it for his future. Because one of their futures is going to happen. So I'm telling you, the reason that you see all of this here, you're going to really see a major rollback. I'm telling you, God is getting ready to roll back some things that's going to be amazing. You're going to see the rollback. You're going to see the removal of leaders that should have never been in there. And everybody is going to give you a wonderful, you know, media spin on it. It's going to sound so nice. Yeah, well, you know, I'm ready to deal with deeper, I have some deeper opportunities. There's some things that I wanted to do, you know, always wanted to do. Those are all Hey, that's the cover story. I don't care what blanket they use to get out the way. That's right. As long as you're out the way. So we're getting an opportunity. But you have five. You're going to get a five-year checkup, America. And in that checkup, you better, when he weighs you in the balance, you better not be found wanting. That is the word of the Lord on this country. And I don't, I don't think it just starts here, but since I'm sitting here, I am an American, blood-born, off the dirt, in the ground. Okay, I'm not a shipped-in American. Okay? I wasn't shipped-in. I didn't come in like a swan. I'm blood-born, from the dirt, American. All right, see, there's some of the, hey, I have nothing against how you got here. You know, Paul said, what did Paul say? You can see how interesting this thing goes. Paul said, he said the, 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 he's, he's given his case, and he said, well, I'm a Roman. And then the, uh, the official said, well, it cost me a lot of money to become a Roman. He said, but I was freeborn. I'm a freeborn American. I just need you to understand that. Because I'm not walking around with the rest of these black folk identities. I am a freeborn. I'm born from the dirt of the ground. Whatever that means. So is my mama and my daddy, all the way back to my grandmother, who was one of the first ones to be uh, let off the plantation and introduced Jim Crow. I wasn't even that. That's me. And I say that because it's going to take us who know who and what we are as an American to make sure we make that five-year checkup once the reins of power and authority are given to us. Come on. Mm. I'm prophesying. Come on now. This is real. This is going to happen. 
and God is going to watch. And he said, when I come back in five years to check up on you, to see how you're doing, see if you're in route. He doesn't expect it to be totally accomplished, but see that you're in route to becoming the land that I set my heart on. He said, that will determine whether or not I keep your enemy bound and gagged and, and ruled by, by the Prince of Peace or whether I unleash them and say, have at it. See, that's the kind of stuff your pastor should have been telling you in the church so you get out and vote. See, instead of telling you, well, God, he doesn't want us in religion, I mean, in politics. No, he wants us in religion. God didn't even invent religion. Satan did. That's why there's so many religions. God reproduced himself, procreated himself, and redeemed that procreation. We are the redeemed of the Lord. That's why we're the first family of creation. There is no species older than us except the Godhead. Identity is the key to destiny. So as we go forward and we're looking at this screen and we're looking at where we are right now, we are all novices. This generation has been downgraded from the expert to the novice. And wokeism is teaching us. And cancel culture is teaching us. And Critical race is teaching us, and critical theory is teaching us, and they're teaching us all of those ideologies and philosophies from, the, from, uh, the, from Europe and from all of those people who wanted to take down Christ. They've been stalking Christ across the planet from Africa to now. Cracks me up, black folk talking about that they don't deal with Jesus. I was like, are you kidding? Jesus started in your country. He started on your continent. You're not, you're not saying See, thank you. What he said, the horn of our, Jesus started on our country. Now, I don't know what color he was, and frankly, if I was going to be the Almighty, I'd be any color I want to show up on any day. Because I can't. Because I'm embodying the patents of all the entire human species. As a matter of fact, I can show up as a donkey, I can show up as a horse, I can show up as a bird, I can show up as a lion or an eagle. So, you know, but again, when you don't know your history, you mess over your destiny. Because Jesus did not begin in Europe. But he came here, thank God, so that I can sit here today and tell you who he is. So we are being forced back into childhood, forced back into infancy, forced back into puberty, forced back into adolescence, which is why you see so many things. If you look at some of these shows, I'm telling you, I have never seen such pubescence. Nonsense. I was like, but didn't we do that in elementary school? You got grown people holding a gun talking about how you had sex. Everything is about that. Why? Because demons travel on sex. They migrate on sex. You can say. Because you've made this point several times. There is a movie I tripped up upon. Now, I didn't watch it, but the, uh, this demon that stalks people and kills them is transferred through sex. And the whole plot line is this guy sleeps with this girl, who we actually like, but sleeps with her, to pass the devil to her and tells her, after he has sex with her, she finds herself, I think, tied in a chair or something, and he said, now this demon is going to hunt you down. 
and all you have to do is have sex with somebody else to yeah. pass it to them. I mean, the whole movie is, I think, them being terrorized by the same river. Okay. But the point is, I saw that whole trailer. There it is, right there. But that's what it was. Before him, the reason Christianity stands for abstinence is because they want to block demonic transfer and migration of those generation spirits who brought you into existence based on Eden. You understand that if, if Adam had said no, we wouldn't have sin in the planet. Amen. We don't realize that the big deal was that Satan could gain reproductive ability and capacity by entering Adam and his wife. So all of this promiscuity, that's nothing but a demonic transit system. I don't care how much you you can sleep around with 400 people all you want. Why do you think they need that? Can you imagine if, if those people in those hot tubs and in those sex clubs, if their eyes, if the blindness on them was removed for 30 seconds, they would see what they are really taking into themselves. And they'll see that they're victims and not liberating, because they think they're liberating. So I'm saying this to you to understand these are how nations are taken down. You understand? You have to break the hedge. Well, one day we'll talk about what is the hedge that God's people bring to the planet that has been broken. Because our heads was broken in order for this to happen. Now, so if you look at that, so we have the novice and beginner, et cetera. So moving on, so let's look at what that, I want to go back to that for just a second, though. Because if you look at this, you see the box, the gift, and the box. My gift to you is a novice. Wow. Make it an expert. This is the gift. So what is the church? They're running on their gift. Their natural gift, their natural talent, their natural ability, and the measure, the degree to which they have had to develop it just to make it in life. They didn't develop it to be good. They developed it to get along. So we'll look at this. Are we getting there? So if we look at this, again, this was something that I got, but it was good, so I thought, why not? Okay, the novice has no professional experience. Now, you want to talk about my profession, and you've got no professional experience. I would add to there, you have no professional exposure, which is why you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm not one of those pastors and leaders that are going to sit down and say, well, I'm going to let the Lord teach you. You could be really deaf. I mean, clearly the Lord, he probably been telling you a long time, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about, and you're talking about that's the devil trying to shut down your ministry. Wow. Isn't that what it is? I mean, I heard it. I mean, I was in prayer last night, and I heard this voice told me to sit and be trained. And I turned around and told her, I don't need anybody to teach me because that's the scripture. Right. So the novice has no experience, and if you're taking notes or exposure to the profession. So you're kind of like how Jesus said in John, he said, if you don't come in by the door, a lot of people come in by a lot of ways, family favors. They come in by doing favors. They come in by bribery. They come in by what deception. But you, it, uh, an expert will come through the door. The next thing, beginner can note recurrent meaningful situation components but not prioritize between them. That's interesting. So you don't know whether – whether what you think is the 
the uh, the list or string of need tos or has to be. You don't know if you have even organized so that they're productive to your goals. Forget the goals of the organization you want to put them in to your goals. One of the things that I have realized is many prophets and apostles are beginners. We talked about. We just lived this. We right now. I don't care how many years they've been prophesying, this whole Biden thing told you who was the mature prophet and who wasn't. They stood around, and the network that sat there and put them on there to say all of this nothing. I'm thinking, huh? Because they gave a word. Well, the word did happen. No, they didn't get the word. They got the title. They got the tagline. They got the caption. Because the word is they should have known that this man was going to turn our country into what it is. They should have known that election was stolen, at least by all intents and purposes. They should have known that if it wasn't stolen, then something, the machinery was broken, and we should have repaired it. They should have known that. They should have known that we would have 1.4 or more million immigrants all COVIDed. They should have been able to tell us about all of the other takeover strategies. They should have been able to tell us about the, the breakdown of this and the breakdown of that. They didn't tell. They knew nothing. They got nothing but a title, a tagline, and a caption. That's the beginner. Because most times, it, that's the most that God could talk to them. And maybe because they were so excited to get a, a word, they just didn't listen to the rest of the project or the venture. So they're, they're ignoring the venture through us into this adventure. Beginners don't know that they don't know. They don't know what's to know. So they don't know that they don't know. And so if they don't know that they don't know, then you can recognize the fact that they cannot order, rank, or prioritize the significant, most detrimental, or important to the least. That's the beginner. What most of the prophetic that I've been watching and out there, not all, but most, a good part of it, unfortunately, comes under the category of novice or beginner. Competent. Well, if you don't know, competency is kind of like what? Begin to understand actions in terms of long-range goals. Did we see that? None of them saw the long range. They didn't see the long view of this. So that means we are at beginner or novice in that. I'm using that as an example, but it's the same thing for pastors, CEOs, whatever. You know, you have, uh, I read the news, um, watch the news and some of these uh, feeds, and you're talking about, yeah, well, we got this 19-year-old who got elected. First of all, that's pitiful. That's pitiful because I'm going to need you to have had some lab, some experience, some something, exposure. When you put somebody in power who does not, who has not been in that thing, you are guaranteed trial and error service. And you're going to be in more trial to clean up more errors. Now, proficient, perceive situations as holes rather than terms of aspects. Isn't that what we have? I have people in my organization like that. They're always talking about, well, you know, I did this, I did that, I know this, I know that, and they don't have, they have no idea of the framework or the context in which what they're experiencing is, is happening or what they're handling should be connecting to. I get all of this disconnected stuff. The church walks around all prideful. You can't tell me I'm not a minister. I mean, because I, I got 5,000 people on Facebook. I've got 
this, I've got that. But you sit at home. You don't go out. You don't make contact with anybody. So you're like this little isolated, um, you know, ministry pod. It's just floating in the lake, just, just drifting. You have no idea. When people talk to me, and, and they do, you know, I have my folks, they tell me I a duck price, I know this, I should do that, and I'm, I'm this and that. And you know what I say? I don't care about your paperwork. I'm caring about your people work. Who have you produced like you? Who have you made stronger for Jesus Christ? Who have you made more stable for the church? See, your paperwork is nice. But we can pay somebody to do that paper shuffle. But we cannot pay somebody who can change lives and touch lives and reproduce what God can use. Most of the time you have followers that are useless to Jesus Christ. The only thing they're useful for is making you look like you're gathering. Wow. And hiding the fact that you're really scattering. So I don't have conversations with people that I can't tell you why I'm saying what I'm saying. I'm going to tell you why. So when they sit down, well, I'm sorry. I'm just going to tell Dr. Price, tell me. Please tell me. And I will sit there and let you tell me until you run out of telling. And then I'm going to talk to you. Because if I feel like this, we exist to make God look good not to make him look out of control. All of these, all of these criticisms that he's dealing with, all of these, uh, these complaints and accusations, that's God's people not wanting to be better than his adversaries. We just want a shot at it. See, I don't just want a shot at it. I want this man's name to be what it was and more in this generation. I want to show Jesus off. I want him to strut all up and down. I want them to talk Lion of Judah, Lamb of God, Messiah, Son of David, all day long, and know why. And I want him to do it through us, to show up with his excellence, his supremacy, and his uh, maturity in us. So proficient, perceived situations as whole. I have people to sit down and say, well, I, I did this and I did that. I'm like, but your people are still weak. You still can't get your own people on your team to come to training. You can't get them to show up for training. So you, so you know they're trained because, well, they don't show up for training. You can't get your own people to do homework. You can't get your own people to even go to, from, from novice to beginner. See, I'm looking at that. Don't talk to me about, well, I got this anointing and not anointing. Come on, God anointed uh, birds and cows and ducks and carrying on. He ain't even anointed, anointed things to die, including himself. But when you look at the whole Levitical system, they all were anointed to be sacrifices. They were anointed to be offerings. They were anointed to be servants. So anointing means nothing to God, not the way we do it, because when God anoints you, he's anointing you to use you, not lose you. <laughs> Y'all all right? Expert. Expert has intuitive grasp. <laughs> has intuitive grasp of situation and zeros in on the accurate region of the problem. I love that, the accurate region. Because people say, you can understand.
understand the difference between a novice. That didn't seem right. The beginning, something looked off. The confidence really didn't quite settle with me, but when I looked at it, I saw this. The proficient, when I saw that and and how it began, and the expert, this is what we're dealing with in totality. So I think about it. You know, and and you're going to love when I go to the next ones. Are you ready? You might as well be ready because I'm there. I'm there. Novice, expert, beginner, learner, proficient, expert. Look at that. Beginner, learner. See, when you are, a, when you are ready to become, you, be, you seek learning. Not in the church. The church, we get people who come and, and enroll in our school, our university, to prove they didn't need to be. A... I got to hit something. I'm going to hit something. Go ahead. Did you hear that? You had to hear something. You didn't know what it was. I know you did. Because then they sit in the class and run their mouth about all they read, all they saw on social media, everything that they got from YouTube, all of it they filtered through their private interpretation, their personal interpretation, and then tell you you, that they shouldn't fail because God fails nobody. Are you kidding me, Jenny? Luke 21, in your patience, possession of your soul. The first thing the novice will prove itself to be is impatience. Novice wants, I want, I want reward right away. I want promotion right away. I want acknowledgement right away. I want placement right away. I want aggrandizement right away. A novice proves themselves because they're impatient, and they're always pushing you to rush because they think they're special. Whoa. I got to, can I hit, hit a bell, babe? I'm going to get healthy. See, novices will always tell you what they intended you should credential. You should credential their intent, not their achievement. I always know enough, and I when you and when you do that, I may not tell you. I don't really care about telling you because it doesn't matter. Because this doesn't, you'll learn as you learn. But understand the one thing: pastors, leaders, mentors, thought leaders, trainers. If you have people who are pushing you to bypass your system and your structure, understand that is a novice ignoring their ignorance. Wow. Isn't it the truth? I want to meet with you because, I mean, before I got here, I just don't, I don't care what you did. I, in order for me to respect what you did before you got to me, I have to know what, what, what you should have been doing and what they were based on, the structure in which you gained what you want to use as credibility. So I have to know that. So if you, were at a, if, if you came to me from the church with the family in the, in the back room and living room and that was your ministry experience, then we can't talk. <laughs> because you didn't win anything. You didn't win souls. Well, I did. I shared the gospel with a lot. Yeah, but you didn't take them from, from the sinner's prayer to sanctified life, to a successful existence in Christ. 
talk about making people successful. And yet that's what Jesus was all about. Jesus was then and still is. He's all about making successes out of those that he inhabits because no one will know that he's supreme, he's superior, he's all of that if his offspring or his fruit remains mediocre, inept, and deficient. Paul talks about the sufficiency of God all the time. That's right. Scripture talks about sufficiency at the least. So when you want to come and talk about, but I'm sorry, but I, I had this ministry. I want to know how, how big was it, who was involved, and I don't mean just big in numbers because sometimes, you know, you realize a law practice could be in a little, what, a little office and still have a client base that's around the world. I'm talking about not just numerical. Okay, exactly. I'm talking about fan range and reach. So you need to know that. And I'm going to ask you those questions. I have people say, well, I, I think I should be promoted because why? Because you woke up with it on your mind? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Baby, you had a nightmare. I woke up this morning and, and, and the devil sitting on my shoulder told me I served a lot, I gave a lot, I did this, I did that, I, and that you. you need and you bring one at a time. Oops, I forgot. Oops, I forgot. Oops, I forgot. Oops, I got to go back and this. So you don't think holistically. Did you not see the holes? You don't think holistically. So, is that right? Because you don't. I pay attention because while, while you're doing that, we're waiting. We're waiting because you didn't make a list. You don't plan to be good. If you plan to be good, you make lists. And you plan. You write it out. If you plan to just be responsive, if you notice that when we went back to that word cloud, you say, do you see that word in the middle? Responder. Novices are responders. They're, very, they're not necessarily initiators. They're not catalysts or igniters. They respond. What does that mean? They respond to what they see or perceive as a need. And they, they, so they, they're, they're not getting out in front of anything because they don't know enough to get out in front of it. So I pay attention. We look at your effects, how many times things have to bounce back and bounce back and bounce back before you get it right. How often do we, we get something we can't use? When you are, when you're a novice, all you're trying to do is obey and stay out of trouble. That's usually a novice consciousness. I just want to obey. I want to do what I'm told, and I'm staying out of trouble. And so I will not think creatively, and I won't go ahead because I don't want to be rebuked. I don't want to be corrected. So rather than risk correction, what if I say correction, to development, you will just respond to what is. Well, you didn't tell me. Nobody asked me. Well, I didn't know. Well, who said? Well, so-and-so. And And how about my personal favorite, the last time? Like, this is the same thing. (laughs) 
that was about dinner. <laughs> this here is about paperwork. They don't even match. So the rule, you can't even discern the fluctuation and variation, variations of the rules. You can't understand that this was about dinner, which has a whole different set of protocols, priorities and standards, than this over here about paperwork, where five people are waiting for you to get done with your part so they can go forward. So I just need you to understand that. And then attitude. Oh, my. Attitude. That's Now, attitude, you have got to be somewhat intuitive as a leader because you have to discern fakery, insincerity, veiled contempt. You have to look at the face. That's when you have to get really good at face reading. When you speak, when you speak the face takes on or somebody thinks, look. You know, sarcasm and snideness. And you do that because you don't want to be found out. Whether the novice is serious is going to say, thank you for telling me that. Thank you for letting me know that. How can I do it better? How can I not have this come up between us again? Show me. And you don't do that every week. Okay. Because sometimes you'll give people a solution and it becomes a crutch. And you'll know a novice because every solution is a crutch. Every solution is a crutch. Meaning, well, the last time, they're always pulling out their crutch under the arm. The last time, or it becomes a prop that they use to, to, to deflect what they know they could have done better or to deflect your correction because as far as they're concerned, nothing I can do please you. So I'm going to keep giving you this prop. And then behavior. Behavior is such a broad thing, but the behavior, when you look up behavior, it actually means what you have in your being that you're showing or that expresses itself under certain conditions and pressures. Be, have is where it came from. So what we're getting is your behavior is what you have in your being. It's your values, it's your belief systems, all of the things that actually materialize the internal you and your motives. So when we, that's why we want to do behavior modification, because behavior is the external of what's inside you. And if you believe it's good, then you're going to keep doing it, and you're going to resist correction, you're going to resist development. If you realize that it's been detrimental, it's been costly to you, then you're going to look for the signs of misbehavior or poor behavior and weigh it against what it's costing you to be you. Because, see, it's costly to be you. You might not think it is, but when you're in your workplace, a lot of you are like that. You get in your workplace, you want to have all these crutches so that you can't be good. You want to have all of these props so that you can deflect anything that improves you, anything that perfects you. You want to talk about it. You want to say they don't like you because of your race. They don't like you because of your, your color. They don't like you because of your gender. They don't like you because of how you dress. They don't like you because you're short. They don't like you because you're fat. You've got a whole lot of reasons. But all of that is how you 
value your being and what you want everybody to take at face value and adopt their interactions with you accordingly. And people are not going to do that. They just will not talk to you. They'll just say hi and keep going. They'll watch you make a mess and not even try to help you. Novice, because novice has to learn. You have to do more than get along. You have to do your share, shoulder your load, and prove your worth. Do your share, shoulder your load, and prove your worth. And you'll have to do that until you get up in that area called competence, and, that, and that's at the top and not at the bottom of the scale. And then response. This has to do with how you react. For example, if it's your day to clean a certain area, you clean it on that day. The next day you see paper on the floor, you ignore it because it's not your day. Oh, right. Oh, my. See, that's novice. That's amateur. Okay. So you need something else, baby. Okay. <laughs> I got a cowbell over here for you, okay? And so you'll do that. Or you'll go and you'll do something right well and superb three or four times to show that you can do it. So your incentive is personal pride. And then you'll just stop doing it and you'll start ignoring it. And all of a sudden you don't see it and you don't hear it. And I didn't know. And I, all of those deflectors that you use to shield yourself from having to be on duty, excellent all the time. Most novices will remain novices because they don't want the pressure of having to be excellent all the time. They like that pick and choose. So if I think I'm going to get in trouble, remember, you're incentivized by threat. If I'm going to get in trouble, then I'm going to do it. But if once I did it three or four times and the storm has passed, then I'm going to go back to being comfortable because I don't want to have to think like this all the time. I don't want to have to plan like this all the time. I don't want people to expect it of me all the time because you don't like people's expectations because you still want to leave room for the free you. And then we have reactions. Reactions. What do you do? You want to leave room for the free you. You know, I don't want them to think that, I mean, every day, because if I do it now, they'll expect me to do it all the time. How often have you said that to yourself? Because that's a novice attitude. That's a novice concept. I don't want to be relied upon. I don't want people to depend on me. I don't want them to turn to me. I want to control my excellence and the degree to which I'll do it. If you're not, this is what happens. You not only will be that way all the time, but you'll always be ahead of what's expected of you. See, novices want you to under-expect and understand why they need you to under-expect. That expert, that proficient one, wants you to know I'm ahead of the game. So if, you, if I know that you're going to do something, that something is going to be expected of you uh, or expected of you or whoever they're serving in eight weeks, they don't wait till the week of to put it on the calendar. They assume that, you, that a lot of things could distract you, and you can miss that or have a scheduling conflict. They know something is due. Novices have to be reminded all the time, always have to be reminded. They always have to be instructed. They always, always, always have to be cajoled and motivated because they're usually very depressive people. Wow. When I have a bad day, 
you're going to have a bad day. Come on. When I have a bad experience, you're going to have a bad experience. Because they live by their sentiments, their instincts, and not their wits. So these are some first sign, first sign keys, unreachable. These are people who you always have to go find them. They're always not where they should be. The novice is never, and I'm talking to committed novice, not newcomer. Let me say, because they're not newcomers, they're just trying to find you. They're trying to learn. But the committed novice is always someplace where you can't find them. You always got to text, call, ring a bell, send a cow, something. Exactly. And they come rushing in, hopping and popping, giving you the reason why you have to send a search party out. Does anybody know what so-and-so, why is this person never where they ought to be? How is it we always have to hunt for them? Unreachable. And if they're in your presence, they're always not. Their mind is somewhere else. You're talking, they can't hear. Or you're talking, and they're talking. So you not only can't reach them, you can't penetrate their fog. They're alienated. The novice mind is always going to be off by themselves doing something unique to prove to you that they are better than. They're always are alienated. So even now, if they're social, now, and these are varying degrees, this is a mix of matches kind of thing, but you can at least know how to assess and identify. So the, they're alienated. That means they're off somewhere doing something, and they always want to be the little kid to show mommy, see, see what I did? I'm better than Johnny. I'm better than Betty. <laughs> because that's what was lacking in their development. Isolated. You know, isolated is very interesting. You would think it's alienated. Alienated means I, they, don't even, they don't even care whether you want them in the circle or not. They're not trying to be. Isolated is I'm doing it my way. I'm separating myself so I'm not influenced by my colleagues, my teammates. So I'm not influenced so that what I do is so pure and so right, I will always outshine them. Proverbs said the person who isolates themselves seeks only rebellion. They're only looking to break the rules, take your position. I'm going to take your job. I'm going to usurp my manager. I should be the leader. I should be the manager. And if, I, if people can just see me without the crowd, without the masses, they'll recognize that I'm the best. And they'll replace that person with me, isolated, intimidated. These are the people who won't try. They're afraid of everything. Well, I just didn't think you'd like it, so I didn't. Well, I just thought you'd get mad, so I didn't. Well, I just felt like I just didn't want you to yell at me. I didn't want you to review. I didn't want you to tell me. Since I didn't want to do that, so I only do what I'm told to do. I don't go beyond. Here's another one. They're unconformable. You can counsel. You can pray. You can punish, you can do everything, and these people cannot conform. The word form, conform speaks to changing from the inside, restyling yourself to fit or adapt. See, people who are unconformable, that sounds great. Then they're 
sound great? You know, I'm a nonconformist. Yeah. That sound great? That that means you never mix with anybody, and nobody can count on you to help them get anywhere successful or effective. Even the nonconformist crew you have, none of y'all are helpful to each other because <laughs> everybody is being themselves, right. and there's no two like you. <laughs> so unconformable means when I put you in leadership, you're going to alter my followers. You're going to alter my company. You're going to alter my staff to fit your form because you have a form that is based on your personal doctrines, values, and beliefs. And independent. Independent is that one that's going to show everybody I should be ahead of the pack. I'm never going to join the herd. I'm not going to work with the herd. I'm sorry. I'm not in that herd mentality. I do things my way. I'm a my way person. I do it my way. I have my own justice system. I have my own sense of right and wrong. I have my own judgment, and I'm not going to be influenced or to allow them to be affected by anything you say. So you, so I'm never going to – I don't mind you being independent in terms of initiative. But what I want, and I, this is me personally, but what I don't want is you to be too, so independent. You're independent of me and my organization. Right. So you, you want to free yourself of me and use all of me. You want to free yourself of my ways and then use all of my time and my dimes. It's not going to work. And so that person, the, the independents usually don't ever show up at your meetings. They always have a reason. They sit, they lay, they something, they rose from the dead. I'm not sure. And they always have a reason to not be in the pack, not follow the pack, not follow the crowd. They always do. They are, they'll come in late just to prove that they're independent. They're not going to come on time. They're going to come in late because they want everybody to know that they're a nonconformist, that I disagree with who's in leadership or I disagree in your requirements. So you're not going to be there on time. They're going to leave early. They're not going to cooperate. Like when it's come time to clean or help everybody straighten up the room or whatever, they're going to grab their stuff and they're walking out the door. See, that's an independent. You can't even help yourself. <laughs> because they can't contribute. You can't be independent and a contributor at the same time unless you're just an attached. Unless you are an independent will want to pay you off, bribe you out, they're not going to want to participate. See, you need to understand because you, one of the things I've noticed about, you know, our world today is that, you know, they see their side and they know what they're doing from the inside out. And they don't realize other folks have an insight too. So they will not, they won't be a part of whatever you see them. These are people who can't stand around and talk to folks. They, they, you want to be a leader in the church and you don't want to talk to the people. Yeah. Wow. You want to be a leader in the company. You, I want to be a supervisor, manager. I want you to take me seriously. I'm going to take you seriously. I can't even get you back. I'm always looking at your back and hearing your bye-bye. I'm doing this, well, I'm doing this because you leaders, we're going to get this chance. You need to make sure that you know what you're getting. The Bible says know those who labor among you. You should know your sheep. You should know your shepherds. You should know your leaders, your executives. You should know your servants and ministers. You should know them, and they should know that you know them. 
Like a lot of my folks are sitting here now thinking, wow, I didn't know she died like that. Because you didn't listen. You just didn't listen. You're uncollaborative. That means you will not go and sit at the table to help anyone brainstorm. You want to be the one that brainstorms at home and brings your project or product to the presentation meeting so you can show off and everybody can see you're the one. See, people, people who won't grow out of these things, they live with one obsession. One obsession. I want to be the one. And I want to be the one and only. I want to be so far away from everybody and so high above them that I am automatically accepted as the one. That, that needing to be the one and only, you know, that, that kind of Jesus conflict, you know, that's where we're stuck. So you don't collaborate. You don't, you, you're not going to partner. You're not going to try to do anything with a team. You won't do that. You will sit there and make nine years of mistakes rather than collaborate. Nine years. Here. I got it. Nine years. See, I want you to understand why this is important. And then you want, this is the next, oh, did I finish that last one? Collaborative, oh, unresponsive, what we talked about, unresponsive. In this context, we can counsel. I have people, I counsel you, talk to you, pray with you, everything. You can't respond. Why? Because your novice stronghold is still trying to keep you independently, number one, in your own eyes. And then when we talk to you, this is what you think. That's all right. Eventually, they're going to see who I am. Eventually, you keep, so we are under your eventually prescription. Eventually, they're going to know this is how I am. Eventually, they're going to know this is me. Eventually, you wait over time, and you really think that you're going to change the mind of somebody who's done a standard for almost 40 years. Like, you really believe that. You realize how many how many views I've run across in 40 years? A whole, how many we've run across just in here in Oklahoma for 20 years? Well, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm, when people come to me and say I'm not them, I rarely trust that because you don't know who them was, and you don't know what them did, so you don't really know why I am reacting. <laughs> See, them did that. <laughs> so you're gonna immediately tell me that my emotional reactions and my emotional sentiments are wrong because you're a different vessel. And I don't, I, I, that doesn't move me. I'm like, I'm like, you know, you know, a lot of them. One of the things that people will say, to, will, will tell you, you will rarely hear me say that to anybody. First of all, I don't know your experience enough to make that statement. I don't know that. I wasn't with you when you cried. I wasn't with you when you pulled yourself back together. I wasn't with you when you got abused, when you were cheated and all of that. I wasn't with you, so I can't say I'm not them because I don't know what them did. And everybody got some them that did stuff. You haven't lived on earth if you don't have any them that did. Okay? You don't know that. Not only that, you're saying that, and there's one of you, and I've got hundreds. Okay? So you don't know which them we're talking about. So I don't, I'm not one of those people who will say that 
to you because I'm really sorry about this one because the one I wanted you to get, I guess I didn't save it. I thought I did. I did. I know. Because I wanted you to see it. I'm going to see if I can get Rachel to do it. Rach, let's see if I can get you to do it. I like Rachel. She helps me. Yep, I want to. Because this is the last one, and I really want to say that. Lisa, I'm going to see if I can get you to get it. 